Welcome to 4,000 Weeks, the weekly audio dispatch from 4kweeks.com. This is our audio newsletter. It's the audio version of the email newsletter I send out every week. And you should subscribe to that newsletter if you like this podcast, because you will see all of the links in your inbox and you'll be able to quickly reference all the stuff that I'm talking about. And this week, there's a good amount of links in there that you might want to click through to see. So you can do that at uh, 4kweeks.com backslash newsletter sign up, and that'll just get your email on the list. Uh, If you're a customer of 4K Weeks, you get this email every week and also a 10% discount whenever you ask for it. So that's maybe something you want to consider too. Let's get into the Remarkable Weeks newsletter this week. First, I owe you a dad joke. So the setup, which is what my good friend John told me is actually what you call the first part of the joke, the setup. The setup for the dad joke of the week is why are there no knock-knock jokes about the USA? All right, we'll get to the punchline at the end. In the meantime, let's dive into it. Week eight of 2000, what year is it? (laughs) Week eight of 2020, 2024? Yeah, I'm leaving this in here. I am, it's an interesting one. Week eight of 2024 has arrived. It's time for you to walk over to your 4K Weeks poster and fill in another square. Are you done? Okay. I've been in a great mood for the first part of this, and that's because I wrote this email a few days ago. And so now I'm going to turn it down a notch. And I'm going to read you what I wrote a few days ago. And it sucks. I am not usually despondent. I, at my heart, am a problem solver. Um, I usually only need a second to flip from some unsavory emotion, anger, disappointment, surprise, etc. over to we can fix this or what can we do to fix this? In fact, sometimes at home, I have to get pause for a second and let, you know, my kids experience an uncomfortable emotion before I switch to it's okay, we can, you know, do something about this just because I'm preternaturally quick at, at doing that. And so it really, my heart was broken a little bit on Valentine's Day when my reaction to the shooting at the Super Bowl victory parade was a reaction that was unsurprised, unengaged, despondent, and sad. Everybody in Kansas City knows somebody who was there or hid behind a hot dog cart or went to high school with the woman who died. Kansas City is the biggest small town that there is. Everyone knows everyone. It's hard to go to an event without seeing somebody from your high school if you've lived here your whole life. And... um, so it was really, a you know, everyone was talking about it. Everyone felt affected by it. But the thing that made me really sad is that I was just like, yeah, of course. I mean, like, that's totally unsurprising. Of course somebody shot somebody at a huge gathering of people. And that sucks. And it sucks that uh, next time there's a mass shooting, tomorrow likely, based on the percentages, um, People in that town will be like, yeah, well, nobody's going to do anything, so next thing. In fact, someone was telling me that they were searching Google News the day after uh, for information about the Super Bowl shooting, Super Bowl parade shooting, and it was below the fold. It wasn't even news anymore. It's like not even one of the top 10 stories that people were talking about. Gun companies have spent the last two decades gloriously profiting while cranking out as many firearms as possible in the United States. It is a, there is a staggering amount of firearms in the United States. The horse has left, all of the horses have left the barn, and I can't even imagine how this problem would be solved without everyone being on board. The price of a gun 
is essentially zero. There are effectively no background checks because if you are interested at all, you can find out how to buy a gun without having to have someone look at your background. And the interesting part is that gun companies have spent the last two decades cranking out guns with immunity from liability that no other industry enjoys. And this is a link that you should click on if you get the newsletter. Uh, If Subaru or Ford or Chevy or uh, Uber or some other company that deals with technology that can maim or kill, which is frankly any technology, toasters can blow up. And if you build toasters that blow up, the people who bought those toasters would sue you. And then that lawsuit would happen in front of a jury of 12 you know, normal American citizens, and they would make a judgment as to whether or not you were negligent for making toasters that kill people. The only industry that does not have to worry about that liability is the gun industry. And if you don't believe me, you can Google it. Um, Do you have a gun in your home for protection? If you have a gun in your home, you're 50% more likely to have someone in your home die by suicide. You're 100% more likely to have someone in your home die by homicide. And you are equally as likely to be killed in your home by an armed assailant as a person who does not own a gun. Are you saying a good guy with a gun is the only thing that can keep a bad guy with a gun at bay? There were over 800 police officers, a lot of them within 20 feet of where the shooting happened. And all they could do was clean up the aftermath. There was no time to do anything. Nobody knew what was going on. Ah, I'm sorry. I'm done. I just want to know why you don't need insurance if you own a gun for that gun. I have an umbrella policy for our family just in case one of our many different kinds of insurance coverage as homeowners, uh, owners of automobiles, owners of businesses, many different kinds of insurance coverage to cover um, some event that happens even when I'm not negligent. So why shouldn't you have to have insurance if you own a firearm? Why don't you need to prove that you're competent to own a firearm? Like literally my daughter spent a month studying for her driver's test, but she doesn't have to do that if she owns a lethal weapon. That's insane to me. It's just insane. And I'm done. I'm done with the soapbox. I know that you're not here to hear me get pissed off, but I mean, tomorrow there's going to be a mass shooting in this country and our collective response is going to be next And that is this, that is the, I think it is the biggest failure of adults in my lifetime for their children, the biggest failure. And I own part of it because I haven't solved it either. Okay. Back to the regularly scheduled programming. Uh, Remarkable weeks. Here's some altruism for you. Week eight of 1954, Jonas Salk discovered the polio vaccine and laid the foundation for the first mass inoculation, which took, took place at Arsenal Elementary School in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> it's funny. I didn't really think about the fact that we were going straight from violently overthrowing the government to talk about vaccinations. <laughs> well, the world is a weird place right now. Um, but I bet, I bet you got the polio vaccine <laughs> if you needed it. Anyway, uh, Jonas Salk, uninterested in personal gain, opted to not patent the vaccine. In, I think, pr- maybe one of the most um, altruistic gestures in the history of modern humans. It is estimated that he would have made over $7 billion if he had patented it. And we're talking about 1954. 
So basically, every single human being on the earth owes him a dollar. What a dude. I, I mean, all of us, myself included, are out here, you know, clamoring for a few dollars of gain. And this guy gave away something to the world that would have made him over $7 billion because he felt like that was the right thing to do. That is a role model. He was 2,051.86 weeks old or 39.35 years. Week eight of 1962, John Glenn, a decorated World War II fighter pilot, became the first American to orbit the Earth around Friendship 7, completing three orbits in less than five hours. That's insane to think about. I think we think when we, people my age, or people in this time, think of spaceflight as this kind of fun adventure. <clears throat> but it was a potentially lethal excursion back then. Um, and it probably took a lot of courage to climb into that capsule. And that's amazing to think about. He was 2,118.14 weeks old or 40.62 years. That seems old. But I guess at that at 40, you're still young, but you have experience. So, But 40 years old seems, seems to be old for... First, the first American to orbit the Earth. Week 8 of 2018, Marit Bjorgen, a Norwegian cross-country skier, secures her status as the most successful winter athlete of all time, clinching her 15th medal, including gold in the 30K cross-country skiing event. She is a five-time Olympian. Interesting side note about cross-country skiers. They typically have the highest VO2 max because it is a cardio exercise that involves the whole body, um, typically you know, endurance races, endurance people have the highest VO2 max because that's just your body's ability to, to convert stuff into energy. Um, so when next time you see someone cross-country skiing and it seems like a walk in the park, know that they're working way harder than you, than you are. She was 1979.29 weeks old, 37.95 years. Okay, so the experimental section, what are you doing this week? I didn't have anybody email me a poster, so you should email me yours if you think you are using it in a unique way. If you're coloring it in, if you've circled some extra dates in the future or in the past, I would love to know that. I know how I use my 4K Weeks poster, but I don't know how you use yours. And I was also wondering in this section, are any of you in a mastermind group? A mastermind group that I have that has been meeting for, I think, almost 10 years. Yeah, almost 10 years, um, is one of the most useful things that uh, happens on a weekly basis in my life. So I was wondering, do you have a mastermind group? Just curious. Email me, Spencer at 4K Weeks. This week's quote, this week's quote comes from Seth Godin, and I will read it to you twice. The answer to your quandary is right there in front of you. It's just that it involves more work, more risk, or more trade-offs than you were hoping for. The answer to your quandary is right there in front of you. It's just that it involves more work, more risk, or more trade-offs than you were hoping for. This is for me this week. I actually switched out the quote because I saw this one and I felt like, man, that's really speaking to me. I know that I often think that I am faced with a difficult problem that needs a complex solution. When really what is happening is that I am afraid. I'm afraid of the work. I'm afraid of the commitment. I'm afraid of the change. I'm afraid of one million things, none of which have anything to do with solving the problem. The solution is easy. It's just that I'm scared of committing to it. I know that that's true. I know that I hem and haw about things. I'm like, oh, should we do it this way? Should we do it that way? And really the truth is we're going to do it. I'm just scared 
that it won't work out the way I want it to, or that it will take me to a future that I don't prefer. But I'm always in a future that I don't prefer or do prefer. And I don't even know because I'm in that future right now, making the best of it. So I want you to ask yourself this about some sticky issue you're facing. Is it really this complicated? Or are you just somehow scared of the solution? And you really need to interrogate that because your body, your brain will, will trick you into thinking, no, 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 I'm not scared. It's because of this reasonable thing and this reasonable thing and this reasonable thing. But dig and really ask yourself honestly, am I scared of this? Am I scared of how this is going to go? The fact is, is that there's no guarantee that anything will work or that it will work in the way you want it to. But that doesn't mean it's not the right solution. That's the quote of the week. What I am consuming this week. Okay, um, I'm going to run through these real quick. The first thing I, I'm going to say I was consuming is revisionist history. Um, this season, there, were ep- uh, there was a series about guns in the revisionist podcast, uh, episodes one through six. And I, I'm putting it back in here because of the shooting and because we all think we know some things that aren't actually true. And uh, the gun situation is the biggest way, I think, that we all think we know something that we don't know. And he takes a very open, open-eyed open view at the current problem, and then you will learn some things, either regardless of how you feel about it. It's a really interesting podcast. The second thing, and I'm putting this back in here, and you can get 10% off uh, this thing, the brick, if you subscribe to the email. And if you haven't subscribed to the email before, shoot me an email, and I'll forward it to you so you can get 10% off. The brick is this thing that um, bricks your phone. You get to choose what apps are functional. And I have been using it for now two weeks, and my phone habits have been totally rewritten in a way that I really was hoping. We're all, we are all um, subject to the whims of our energy level and of our dopamine responses, and I am a high performer. And whenever I am just like, I need a break, I was turning my phone on and looking at things that, you know, looking at our business stuff, looking at dashboards, stuff that I knew was a waste of time, but felt like, you know, productive procrastination. And I wanted to stop and locking my phone down has totally changed, oh, for two weeks has totally changed my habits because now when I do pick it up and I do still pick it up, I'll be like, oh, wait, nope, there's nothing there. So I shouldn't look at it. It is a solution to one of my gnarliest problems it's these two young dudes in Wisconsin who started this company. They are bootstrapping it. The current versions are 3D printed. It is a, a little plastic thing that you put near your phone and click the app. And if you leave the, the brick at the office, you can't unbrick it at home unless there's five emergency unlocks. Not five per day, five. I have not used any yet because if I really need to get to those tools, I have a computer at home. The point is to stop the distraction machine. It's amazing. I love it. I can't speak uh, more highly of it. It is a five stars, would recommend, especially based on the fact that Apple should be sued in a class action lawsuit for how the screen time limits fail everybody. They just disappear. That's a separate issue. The brick is awesome. Okay, next book, Die With Zero. This book was recommended to me by a few people lately, um, most notably newsletter subscriber Michael, who sent me an email and was talking about his 4K Weeks poster and then mentioned this book. And the thing that really got me is that he said he's rethinking a lot of things right now because of that book. 
his mother has saved a whole bunch of money that she will never spend and that he doesn't need. And so that's a wasted amount of energy on her part because she's 92 and he's uh, in his 60s. And I thought that was really profound for me to think about because those dollars have a cost in in her 60s and 50s and 40s. She paid with time for those dollars in one way or another. So I got that book and it is really interesting. It's not the most amazing book from a literary standpoint. Uh, clearly, the guy who wrote it is not a writer. He's a entrepreneur and person who had an idea and needed to write a book about it. It will change your life. Basically, I'm going to give you a few takeaways. You should be intentional about the money that you save. There is an amount of money that you need. There is an amount of money that's too much money. Life is short. You should prioritize experiences. If you are a person who has saved a good amount of money, good for you. Make sure you haven't saved too much so that you are wasting time now for no benefit later. And then the other biggest takeaway is that if you're going to give people money, charities or your children or your niece or your nephews, give it to them now if they are between the ages of 25 and 35. They don't need it when you die and they're 50 because everything, you know, they can't really leverage it at that point. And also they don't need it when they're 18. Um, so that really changed my thinking about our legacy with regard to people and charities in, in our life. It's a great book. You should totally read it. Read, Write, Own. I mentioned this last week. I'm mentioning it again because I just finished it and it is so thoughtful. It's hard to remember how different the internet was in, the, in 2000 to 2010, but you didn't buy anything online back then, likely. I remember the first time I bought something online on Amazon was like, I mean, maybe eBay, but that was clunky. Uh, on Amazon, the first thing I bought online was in the early 20, 2012, 2013. The, our, we started our Amazon brand in 2013, and that was the beginning of it. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to go back and remember how different the internet of the 2020s or the, the 2000s was. Sorry. And then you got to project forward. It's hard for, it will be hard to, for us to imagine how different the internet of the next 10 years is going to be. But I think based on this book and a whole bunch of other stuff that I have read, blockchains are going to be an essential part of the future. And I'm not saying cryptocurrency, that they're different. A blockchain is a computer. And if you don't understand that, you should certainly read the book. And if you disagree with me, you should read the book. I mean, if you care about the future of the freedom of the most amazing tech in history, if you care about the difference between corporate networks and non-corporate networks, you should totally read this book. Next thing, podcast, My Wildest Prediction with Tom Goodwin, um, Raul Vora, CEO of Superhuman. This podcast totally jives with Read, Write, Own, the book, because email is a protocol network, which is like a utility. You know, it's, it's cheap. It's not really expensive. Whereas Facebook is very expensive. Facebook saves like that. Facebook is like 70% profitable. Um, but there are no email companies that are 70% profitable because it's just a utility. Um, and so you should listen to the podcast with him because it's really interesting, uh, to, to hear him talk about it. The Tim Ferriss show number 720 with Soman Chanani. Um, he is the writer of the Young YA, Young Audiences Fiction, uh, I think it's called The School for Good and Evil. It was a really delightful podcast to listen to. And I think the best nugget here was, and I'm going to paraphrase this, he said he was a tutor for a long time, um, which is interesting. 
And he said, look, if your kids start to show initiative in some area, like making their bed or exercising or something, say nothing about it because they are trying to differentiate themselves in that way. And so you complimenting them makes it your thing, not theirs. Parenting is the hardest thing I've ever done. So whenever I find a nugget like that, I try to take it to heart. I know I will forget that tomorrow, but I'm trying. Okay, Instagram nuggets. You'll have to subscribe to the, the newsletter for that. There are a few good ones in there this week. Um, man, I say um a lot. That's a hard thing to work out. I've noticed it. I've noticed that I say um whenever I am transitioning. Some of the podcast I am reading that I've written previously, some of the podcast I am ad-libbing. And I've noticed that when I'm ad-libbing, I fill space with um, and I'm going to attempt to let space fill space from now on and not do it with um. Here we go. What am I thinking about this week? I'm thinking about how transient and ephemeral it all is. And it's hard to articulate a feeling into writing, but that's what I'm trying to do. So let's hear it. Life is motion. We see all the motion around us from a fixed point of view, from inside our brain, our brain that is both blind and deaf, relying on sensory input from our ears and our eyes and our skin and things like that. Except we aren't fixed. We are changing all of the time. It's just not easy to notice how our self is changing on a day-to-day basis because you're inside of it and the change is incremental. So you see all this movement outside of you, but you don't notice the movement inside of you. And I think the most important thing sometimes is to remember that we are also flowing along the river with the rest of the boats. I'm, I'm going to try, I'm trying here. I miss my dad. Not in an aching, sobby way, but just in the occasional like hitch in my breath when I'm listening to music, doing the dishes and realizing that I just can't ever have lunch with him again, which is strange because I just had lunch with him a few months ago. I don't know where he is, but I know that all of the energy that he was has moved on. And his death has made me think a lot about the Buckminster Fuller quote, which I have paraphrased before in this newsletter. Buckminster Fuller, just a spectacular thinker. And that quote is, the single frame picture of a caterpillar does not foretell its transformation into a butterfly. And I am a fairly brass tacks person. I spent a lot of time in churches when I was young. I enjoyed all of that time. My parents are religious people, God-loving people. I have never had a lot of interest or time for things that I could not put my hands on and touch. And so I would have told you 10 years ago, maybe, when I was when I was sure I knew much more than I actually know now that I know, and I know tomorrow that I will know that I know less than I thought I knew today, we know nothing of what is to come. We know nothing, we know very little about even what is happening right now. We know nothing of what is to come. And I know that it's not, look, it's not a hopeful, 
Um, my dad's gone and I want to see him again. So hopefully there's an afterlife feeling. It's not that. Um, I know that I'm honest enough with myself in a way that I am not, I don't try to magical thinking the world into shape to fit my, to fit my good feelings. Um, but a butterfly, a, ca- a caterpillar doesn't transform into a butterfly when it's in a cocoon. It doesn't like if there's no, it's not a linear process. If you were to be able to watch it, the caterpillar doesn't grow wings. And then the body of the butterfly is, is the caterpillar. That's not how it happens. What happens is the caterpillar turns into primordial ooze. It basically dissolves itself. Like seriously, it turns into slime. And then from that slime, it builds itself into a butterfly. And for all of the sermons I have sat through, and for all of the gospels I have sat through, and for all of the readings, and for all of the times that I have read the Bible, and for all of the times that I have read the Quran and the Torah, and all of the philosophical books that purport to tell us what this world is, the closest I have ever come to believing in reincarnation, or resurrection, or life after death, or a paradise on the other side of the clouds, is the metaphor of a caterpillar dissolving and reforming into a butterfly. I also miss my babies. My kids are in that moment where I notice how much they are growing up on a daily basis. I swear to you, my son's jawline changes every morning. And it's delightful. They are awesome, and my wife and I are just so lucky to witness their growth. But it would be so nice to be able to have a day to visit with them earlier in their timeline when they were chubby babies or headstrong toddlers. And I know that I loved that moment back then, too. I'm not a person who slept through that, but it would just be great to have a day. I know I have said this before in the email newsletter. Um, The statistic is is that 90% of the time you will spend with your kid throughout your entire life happens when they are 0 to 18, which is a staggering statistic and sad and makes me want to be the kind of dad who his kids, his adult kids want to hang out with him and also makes me want to make enough money so that I can pay for vacations and dinners, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I hadn't heard this statistic, which when I was writing this section, I did a little bit of research. 75% of the time you spend with your kids happens from zero to 12. I already miss the kids that my kids are today. I think as thinking people get older, there's a natural inclination to retreat inside of ourselves because every day we discover another universe of things that we, we didn't know about or we thought we knew about and we were wrong or we can't understand. And not, or, not, or that not only can we not understand them, but we can't create a framework to begin even thinking about them. And I think it's really important for all of us here who are, I'm going to say, above the age of 27 to push hard back against that. Because twenty, the reason I say twenty-seven is twenty-seven is when, when I realized I didn't know shit, and I realize that every day, and I, every day I'm like, well, <laughs> you think you didn't know anything back then? Well, you really don't know anything now. 
But I think it's important to speak that truth to the young people around you, if only to ease the transition as they grow up. All of the best laid plans of men are transient and ephemeral, even when they don't go awry. So maybe we should just enjoy these moments as they come. And maybe it's also okay to be a little bit sad when they're gone. And then meanwhile, I heard this quote, and it is the best quote I have ever heard today. And I'm going to share it with you because it makes me feel like there's a thing to do. And we're heading at th- we're over 30 minutes now. And I'm, I'm hopefully I'm sorry, but I will end with this and then the dad joke. And I think that you should... I'm going to read it once, but you should re-listen to it because this quote seems to capture what I feel like we need to do if we want the world to be the most awesome version it can be. And it's from George Bernard Shaw. Here it is. This is the true joy in life, being used for a purpose, recognized by yourself as a mighty one, being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances. Complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community, and as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it what I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle to me. It is a sort of splendid torch which I have got hold of for the moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. This newsletter is me trying to make use of this splendid torch, which I have gotten hold of for a moment. And I hope you can make use of it too. And I would encourage you to, however you can today, make use of this splendid torch. And we transition from that profound moment, that profound seriously considered, thoughtful quote to another aspect of a well-rounded life, which is ridiculousness, the dad joke of the week. Why are there no knock-knock jokes about the USA? Because freedom rings. Have a good week. Again, I hope it's a spectacular one. I hope that you understand that you are where you are because of the things that you have done. And I hope you use that to make this week and next week the weeks you want 